Hey, boss fam. Thanks for tuning in. You're about to listen to one of the OG episodes from back when this podcast was called The Everything Enthusiast, and I identified as a creativity and mindset coach for multi-passionates. I tell you this because I may use the term everything enthusiast a lot and say some other stuff about my offers and motivations that might be different from my new identity. But you get me. Reinventing ourselves is what we multi-passionates do best. So thanks for being here and enjoy the episode. Hi guys, welcome to episode 12. I'm your host, Jenny O'Connor. And for those of you that don't know, I write and create courses about mastering your mindset so that you can stop settling for less, start asking for more, and finally do the thing that scares you. You know, like taking a leap by leaving a job that's sucking your soul away to pursue a creative path you love. Exactly the kind of things that we talk about on this show. If you are already subscribed, thank you, thank you. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, be sure to hit subscribe because I've got some more interviews coming up with some truly fascinating people who have some really cool insight to share with you guys. So today we are talking about the cult of busyness and why you must get out now, kind of like a life of crime, get out now. Be sure to stick around to the end because I've got lots of ideas for carving out more time for yourself if you do happen to believe that you are the busiest person on earth. So let's do this. Raise your hand if you have ever responded to the question, how are you doing with, oh my God, I'm so busy. All right. Now keep your hand up if you say that more than 50% of the time when you're asked that question. We wear busy like a badge of honor. I remember verbally sparring with a very New York businessman one time who bragged about working 80 hours a week and scoffed at me, literally scoffed, like for being from California, where we, and I quote, spend our days working out on the beach and smoking weed, to which I replied, yeah, it's called work-life balance. (laughs) Absolutely nuts that I would be looked down upon for striving for that. But that is the American mindset in a nutshell. Those of you in other countries, Italy, I am looking at you, have it way more figured out than we do with your siestas and your four to 12 week off seasons. Y'all probably don't even need to listen to this episode. You can just go back to drinking wine on your balconies and living la dolce vita. For the rest of us, I have a third question. Have you ever lied to someone and claimed that you were busier than you actually were because maybe you dropped a ball on something you'd committed to? Yep. Because busy is the only excuse that you can give that someone really can't come back at you with much, you know, unless they have a spy cam in your house and can prove otherwise. I'm so busy is a pretty rock solid alibi. So guess who is guilty of all of these things? This guy right here. That's why I feel allowed to get all up in arms about it because I'm not judging or maybe I'm judging, but I'm doing it from a place of love because I understand how much harm this is actually causing to you, to me, to all of us. For one thing, when you exist in a state of hurried and harried and go, 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 you lose sight of what actually doesn't have to be done. And living in a state of controlled alarm and fear of missing something or dropping the ball on something burns you out super fast. Secondly, if it is that easy to use busy to break a promise to somebody else, it's even easier to use it to break a promise to yourself. So what do I mean by that? Have you ever said to yourself, 
I'll go to therapy, get that massage, attend that meditation retreat as soon as I'm not so busy. Or I really want to get back to the gym just as soon as I can find the time. Or I'm finally going to write that novel once the kids go off to college. I am betting that we've all said something to this effect at one time or another, like maybe today. (laughs) And I'm also betting that you are still going to squeeze in an episode of insert favorite Netflix show here tonight. So now I want to ask you a really tough question. One that will hopefully really make you think, is it that you don't have enough time or that this thing you say you want to do just isn't that much of a priority? Laura Vanderkam author of 168 hours, you have more time than you think, recommends that instead of saying, I don't have enough time, you should try saying it's not a priority and see how that feels. So for some tasks on your to-do list, this is a perfectly reasonable thing to say. I have time to polish my silver serving platters, maybe while also watching Netflix. It's just not a priority. But when it comes to your big dreams, I would think that this is going to bother you a little bit. And that's exactly the point. I'm going to take a chance here and say that not being creative when the urge lives inside of you will lead to nothing but regret. And according to Julia Cameron, quote, the refusal to be creative is self-will and is counter to our true nature, end quote. And not living true to our nature is the number one regret of people who are dying. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bronnie Ware. She is a nurse who interviewed hundreds of people as they were on their deathbeds and discovered their top five regrets. And she wrote about them in a book called <laughs> The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. Number one was not living according to their own true natures, living by somebody else's rules, following someone else's agenda, doing things that they thought other people wanted instead of the things that they truly wanted. The number one regret. So don't let this be you. This is like why I'm put on this earth is to ensure that this doesn't happen to people. I think telling ourselves we're too busy is a way to stay permanently mired in the swamp of stuck It makes doing nothing about our dreams okay. It justifies putting off the things that would make us healthier, happier, and just generally better human beings. And it temporarily alleviates our guilt about letting ourselves down. As Tim Ferriss puts it, being busy is most often used as a guise for avoiding the few critically important but uncomfortable actions. So working out for the sake of being healthy is uncomfortable. Sharing our art, definitely uncomfortable. Raising our rates, uncomfortable. But I'm pretty sure that living a chronically sick, creatively stifled, underpaid life is worse. Okay. So now you know why busyness is bad, but why do we feel this way all of the time? We all do. We want to be more efficient and less distracted so we can produce quality work and have time left over for what really matters. So why is it so damn hard? The problem is twofold, actually. For one, it is human nature to misjudge the time it takes to do the tasks on our to-do lists. So the term planning fallacy refers to the tendency to underestimate the time it takes to complete a task. Even when we know we were overly optimistic about the time needed for a similar task for the exact same thing, let's say in the past, we still insist that our current predictions are realistic. It's just like the dumb animal in us. Secondly, 
we are terrible at accurately gauging how much time we waste on distractions. So let me say that again for those of you in the back. We suck at accurately judging how much time we waste. So a new study shows that 82% of people believe their smartphone usage is lower than the national average. 82% of people are wrong about this, which is a lot. Incidentally, the national average of smartphone usage is 5.4 hours a day, which quite frankly is fucking terrifying and really makes me wonder what people did before smartphones. Jeez. (laughs) So we're going to have devoted an entire episode to tech fasting and social media cleansing and all that good stuff. We won't talk about it here for the sake of brevity, but if If you feel like this is you and you feel utterly buried under your to-do list, I've got some ideas for you. So first of all, let's shift our mindset a little bit. If this episode is resonating with you, at some point you lost the memory of having the luxury of doing less than your full capacity. So to remedy this, try to take yourself back to the last time you felt free of that busy feeling and you could do the things you loved without having a schedule. For many of us, this is going to possibly be like childhood. I mean, I know that college was when I started to have stress stomach aches because of not having the tools to manage my time properly. And it landed me in the hospital and come to find out that was a gluten intolerance, but it was also stress and that was college. So like I say, for many of us, you're going to have to to dig deep and go way back. But once you can find that feeling and touch it again in your mind's eye, try to memorize what it feels like. Better yet, write about it in your scanner planner, which is episode four, if you guys want more details on the scanner planner. But you want to sit for a while and like stew in this feeling because from now on, I'm going to ask you to revisit it once a day every day. So Elizabeth Gilbert talks about something a lot like this in Big Magic, which is a fantastic read, you guys. If you haven't read it and you're an artist, it it changed my universe. And this particular part was like a huge aha moment for me. She recommends treating your art the same as you would a clandestine affair. So people who are involved in affairs like always manage to squeeze in a hot makeout session, a stairwell for 15 minutes. It doesn't matter if they have full-time jobs and families to support. They don't mind losing sleep or foregoing eating during their lunch hour. They make whatever sacrifices are necessary in order to be alone with the object of their devotion. And so if you view your art as an object of devotion, why aren't you doing the same? So that's really a great place to ask yourself that question. Is this project, is this thing that I care about an object of my devotion or not really a priority? Yeah. So here are a couple things to try. Once you've sort of shifted that mindset and you know that this is the thing that really lights your soul on fire, try these for time management, for stealing back some hours, some minutes here and there in your day. Track your time. This is so important because you can't improve on something unless you measure it. That's what KPI means, key performance indicators, and they're used in business so that you can see where you started and see how you're doing and where you ended up. 
So if you are really truly trying to bring more time into your life, you kind of need to know where your time is going right now. So I use a free app called Toggle and it's T-O-G-G-L. There's no E on that. I think they just recently changed the name to Toggle Track. I will include a link to that in the show notes. And it takes like an incremental amount of up upfront effort to utilize this tool, but it will do wonders for your perspective on the eternal question. Where does the time go? They have a one and a half minute tutorial on how to set it up really quickly and how to assign projects. And it will get you so much more clear on how much time you waste on distractions. Like when I started figuring out that something like three to four hours a night was being spent on watching television, something that I completely felt like I deserved after working hard all day, I realized I couldn't say I was too busy to do my art or to write my novel if I was spending four hours a night watching Netflix. I know that sounds gross, but do it, you guys. You'll be like, ah, oh my God, I do that too. <laughs> That's why I feel like I can share that with you because we all are guilty. <laughs> so track your time do it for a week. If it, like I said, it takes a little bit of effort to like stop and be like, Oh crap, I didn't change over to this new project. I need to go back and you can always, you can adjust the time inside toggle. But like I said, do it for one week. And then after that, if you're like, okay, this requires an extra bit of time that I don't feel like I have, you will still have such insight on where, where your time does go. The second thing you can try is delegating. This is just also known as asking for help. And I talked a lot about this in episode 10 about how to prioritize your project. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, um, you'll get some more tips there. But one study I found when I was doing research looked at the domestic responsibilities of 8,500 heterosexual couples from unpaid housework and paid employment to caring for children and seniors. And it found that women do approximately 16 hours of household chores every week while men do closer to six. So sorry, guys, I may have just added to your plates a little bit. <laughs> this was true even when partner, both partners were employed full-time. Women were just found to be five times more likely than men to do the majority of the housework. But seriously, regardless of your gender, you might feel like this describes your life. And if that is the case, ask for help. In fact, you can even use Toggle Track to make a visual case for the inequity of time spent on mundane BS household tasks. All right. Yet another reason to use toggle track. Um, also think about if you are a parent, whether or not the kids are old enough to make their own PB and J's or match their socks when they come out of the dryer, just look for little things. Remember, you don't remember how to not do everything. Find ways to take some of those things off of your to-do list and give them to somebody else. Hire someone like a task rabbit. If you live in a big city that is a super use, it's like Uber for people that need stuff done. Or if you don't, Find a student that will help out part-time, you, you know, and, and get your sort of mundane tasks off of your list that way. And then use that reclaimed time to work on your creative pursuits. Third thing you can try is to learn to say no. <laughs> 
You've heard this before. As a society, we are so fixated on politeness that we say yes to things when we really mean no, and then resent the shit out of the person who asked us. Like, then you're mad about it. I, I personally have been there. Maybe you can relate. When I invite people to say no more often, they sometimes take this to mean that they should get better at saying no to all of the things they don't want to do. But that's kind of only half of the battle. To be truly effective at time management, you also need to learn how to say no to some of the things that you do want to do. And you can put those on a list for a later date, but just kind of knowing that you can't do everything and being able to figure out what the most important things are to move the needle on your most important projects is is critical. And I, I talk about all of that in the prioritization episode, which is episode 10. Another thing you can try is to get up 30 minutes earlier. You might think that this sounds like it would make you more exhausted and you're already super burnt out because you're rushing all the time. And I get that. But the truth is working on your creative passions actually fills up your energetic well. Also, now that you're spending moments remembering that blissful time way back before you were the busiest person on earth, you should actually feel like you're recharging your batteries on the daily. In fact, this 30 minutes in the morning can be that time, that time to explore, that time to play, that time to research a thing that has been nagging at you for God knows how long. You can find that in those quiet hours before the house starts to stir first thing in the morning. And if you're a night owl, switch it around. I just can't even begin to fathom what it feels like to have more energy in the evening because that's just not who I am anymore. All right, next thing, multitask. What? (laughs) If you know me, you know I think multitasking is the devil. But in this one instance, I actually think it can be of benefit. So hear me out. One parent I know found a way to combine his loves by painting while he watched TV with his family at night. So he'd just sit in his favorite chair and set his easel up in front of him and sort of he could see the TV around the corner of the easel. Probably he was more focused on the the easel than on the TV, but nonetheless, he was surrounded by his family they could talk. And it was a great way to have that family time and get, you know, just a smidge of his creative itch scratched. As an addendum to this, whatever the project is that you're working on, have everything that you need at hand and ready to go. This removes the activation energy of getting started on a thing. Because if you only have 30 minutes and 10 of that involves taking out the sewing machine and, and, you know, threading the bobbin and putting all of those pieces in place so that you can even just start on the project, you're going to be a lot less likely to do it. So a lot of people, when I say this, object to the notion of having a messy craft area in their home. I get it. I do. But there are creative ways that you can make this work for you, even if you're a neat freak. One of those folding room dividers, those sort of, um, often they have like a pretty Asian bamboo motif kind of thing. And you could put a card table with your art stuff 
behind it and kind of tuck it away into a corner. My father was a huge neat freak. Like I actually wondered if I was the mailman's kid (laughs) because of how he was meticulous. And he had his office in the living room and he designed a cabinet so he could just pull the cabinet doors closed and it just looked like any other cupboard that you would store linens in or something. But when you opened up the doors, it had his printer, it had his desk, it had a little desk lamp. It was a super cool setup. So there are absolutely ways to do this and still be able to get started on your project immediately the second you want to, because sometimes all you have is 15 or 30 minutes to work. The last thing is to take time for you first. So if you work a nine to five, when you come home and walk through the door, don't immediately engage with other members of the household. In fact, tell them that this is how it's going to be from now on. Instead, immediately go to a quiet place that you've carved out for yourself that's private and do work on the project that has your heart at the moment, even if it's only, like I said, for 15 or 30 minutes. And then when you're finished, come out and have your family time, make dinner, tidy up, do whatever you normally do in the evenings. But you will be amazed how this little tiny shift in prioritization can move the needle on your most important projects without negatively impacting anyone you love or how your house functions. The thing is effective time management isn't about working harder or getting more done. And those of us that succumb to the cult of busy often think that's the case. Instead, it's about getting the right things done so that you can do what you want in the time that's left over. So that's it. I'm done yammering at you. I will let you get back to your oh-so-busy lives. My goal is to help people like you step into the spotlight and make real money from their creative passions. And I have made a ton of free resources to help you out with this. One of these is my 21-day dream job challenge that will help you find work that lights a fire in your belly so much that you forget to eat and pee throughout the day. We all want that, don't we? Start your journey today at jennyoconnorcom forward slash dream job. And until next time, remember, there are seven days in a week and someday isn't one of them. Now get on out there and do the thing. 